Hello, hello. This is Reality of Reality. I'm Aliza Rosen, a longtime TV producer and development executive. Every week on the podcast, I talk to interesting people in all aspects of unscripted content. Okay, so before I introduce the guest, I want to ask you guys a quick favor. I promise it will only take a minute. If you can please go to iTunes, give me a five-star rating, a short, short review, glowing, of course, would be preferable. I would really appreciate it. Today on the podcast, Karama Brown. In case you don't know that name, you should. He is one of the Fab Five on the Netflix reboot of Queer Eye. And if you haven't seen the show yet, you have to get watching it because it is fantastic. Karama brings heart and soul into the show. It always makes us cry, but in a good way, because he really gets to the core of who the hero is and what's stopping him or her in their life. I'm happy to report Karamo is as lovely, smart, and funny in real life as he is on the show. We talk about Queer Eye, his history on reality TV. You may remember him from a little MTV show years back. We get into that. You'll hear me refer to his book a lot. It's a really good autobiography of his life, a lot of which is surprising and interesting and actually very inspiring. It's called Karamo. It's out now on Amazon and in bookstores. Okay, we're here. We're Karamo's beautiful home. Oh, thanks for coming by. Thanks for having <laughs> us. I'm here with my, my assistant, <laughs> my, my daughter. I think this is your first podcast, right? Oh, exci- that's awesome. <laughs> this is exciting. Cool. Exciting. Well, I'm super excited about this. I um, love Queer Eye. I mean, from season one, I was so excited for my friend David. As you know, we have a mutual yes. friend, the creator. Who, um, who we love, David Collins, creating Queer Eye, the first one, and now re- brought back the reboot. We're also thankful to him for the opportunity we've all gotten because of this. It's so amazing. Like, yeah. I remember having lunch with him and him sort of whispering across the table saying, we're trying to bring it back. Really? And I just fainted. I was like, oh, my <laughs> God, this is huge. And I just knew, you know, but I have to say, and I told him this after, I knew it would be great, but I really didn't see it evolving in just the most amazing way that it did. And I think, you know, just Netflix had so much to do with just the feel and the look and the tone and... Like, yeah, I think it feels so different to you than it the is original? 100% different. You know, the original Queer Eye was at a different time. It was in the early 2000s. And um, where we were in our country when it came to like LGBTQI rights and where we were with representation is just very different. We're not on there as gay men, we're just as human beings who happen to be gay. And also, they picked people um, who have a different breadth of um, experience and depth. The original five were fabulous amazing loved all of them but the five of us are different i mean my category is probably the biggest change the original culture guy was a broadway star so he showed people tickets and paintings and i'm a mental health expert so i'm all about getting to the core of what's happening which i also think changed the tone dramatically the tone of the show dramatically because that wasn't there before completely and so much for the better i have to say because and you talk about this in your book karamo which is mm-hmm. just out and it's fantastic Thanks. i i read it this weekend it's a really easy fun and inspiring read. I loved it. So I'm going to reference the book a lot because it will tie into our conversation. Perfect. Um, but one of the things that's actually a really interesting story about the whole culture category and kind of how you approached it. And it wasn't, it kind of evolved. So talk a little bit about like what you wanted, because you didn't want to say like, here, go to this Broadway show and museum. You wanted yeah. to bring your expertise, which I think is, thank God, because I thank think you. it just enriched the show so much. And also who cares about that stuff? Like <laughs> I want, you know what I'm saying? Like, I yeah, want to yes, know I do. like what yeah. is going on with you person yeah. hero. Perfect. Yeah. I think, you know, it was an evolution. Um, again, when they brought back the show, they had, they were bringing back the original show. Of course they wanted it to be different, be better, but 
they went after the same five type of archetypes of characters the second time around as well, um, just in different categories. So if you look at Carson and Jonathan, my castmate, Jonathan Van Ness, they're very similar in the way they approach things. Um, you know, we're just all similar. And I think when they saw me as culture, all the guys in the audition were art gallery owners or owned a Broadway show, all of them. There were only two of us that were in there that were mental health professionals. And it was very imp important for me to say, it's great that these other four categories are fixing the external, but what's going on with the internal? And if you don't fix the internal, then they're just gonna go right back to what they were doing before. And so I really was like, we gotta do it, we gotta do it. And they kept telling me, different people, no, you can't do that. You're the one who has to do art galleries and whatever else. And finally we got to a point where I just talked to them. They were like, oh, this is great, let's just do this. And we finally got on the same page. And you really see, especially like when we get to season two, three, you see where it's like the emotion comes from me sitting down and talking with them and getting to the core of why you haven't cut your hair in 20 years. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the iron, not to give you all the credit, sorry, David, but really the, <laughs> the show, the way that show changed the most and got people talking about it was the crying was that journey that you just didn't get in the originals just much more of a fun romp yeah yeah so and that the was fun huge. romp we still have that obviously in our shows yeah. you've seen but like yeah it was a change you know like our billboard season one and two was i'm not crying you're crying and you know i was always so proud of myself that i added to that because that was an element that i was like i remember the first time they started crying uh, the hero started crying me on camera um, David, I love you. You know I do, but literally this is an inside story and David knows. David came into our trailer and said, this is a happy, fun show. No more tears. Swear to God, David, I love you. First of all, this is not a critique of David because David is brilliant. I want to make sure that's clear because people will hear this and be like, is he insulting the creator of the show? Not at all, at all. We were early on and he was like, I know what worked. I had a right, show that right. was a hit. Listen to what I'm saying to you. And it made me fearful, especially because I was like, uh, that was my fault. You know what I mean? And I, then he later on came and said, OK, let's keep it going. Let's yeah. you know when it's organic and when it's real. Let's keep it going. And I think it's really helped elevate the show completely. It's what connect. I mean, it's honestly what I'm waiting for. I mean, the, all of stuff. Listen, you guys are all funny. Yes. Um, Thank you. It's super fun. I mean, Jonathan just kills me yes. like he oh, is, he's hilarious the things that come out of his mouth it took me a minute with him i have to admit like yeah. in the beginning i was like whoa that's a lot <laughs> and then like three episodes in, i was like i'm all in on him yeah, he is yeah, amazing and yeah. i just everyone brings something different i was actually surprised in your book that you said after first season because i didn't remember this that people were like unsure what your role is because you kind of weren't the culture guy but like and that was sort of confusing for you too. Did you feel sort of def defeated when you saw it? I felt hundred percent defeated, you know, and that was, I realized that my ego was at play. And so my ego wanted sort of, it's not fame that I wanted. I wanted acknowledgement for my craft and my skill the same way the other guys got it. And don't get me wrong. I'm not crying over spilled milk. There was nothing that it was a great journey. I just, you know, when you see the comments on social media, which is why I avoid social media now and reading those things and why I try to encourage younger people. It's fake. It's not real. And it's hard to rem remember that when you're in your bedroom looking at your phone and those comments seem real to you. And so I was reading these things of people saying, what is his job? Why is he even on there? Who is this guy? But then in the same tweet, they would be like, oh my gosh, I'm crying so much. And I'm like, <laughs> That, that's, me. that's me. That's me. <laughs> that's, that's the reason, you know? And, um, and it was hard, you know, cause I just felt 
I didn't feel seen. I felt very invalid. And, you know, they would talk about the haircuts Jonathan did or the design Bobby did or, you know, the food that Anthony had cooked. And even they gave him stuff season one because they didn't catch what we were trying to do. Like for his category, Anthony is the chef on the show or the cook on the show. You know, people were like, he's making salads <laughs> and they would give him shaving a zucchini. Yeah, shaving zucchini. And his whole thing coming in was like, you can't teach someone who doesn't know how to cook a four course right, meal. Coca-Van. Yeah. Coca-Van. <laughs> They're not going to do it. You got to teach them small things that they can then maybe apply to something bigger and keep on going. And same with me. It's like, I'm having these conversations using a backdrop to have people open up. And of course, to the untrained eye at first, they were like, what is going on? But now people get it. And so I'm just happy about that. It's amazing. So one of the, one of the episodes that got a lot of buzz, um, I think it was four of season one with Corey. Is that episode four? Oh, no, it was two with two. Um, the police officer. Yeah. So yes. let's talk about that because that was sort of amazing. Um, two things incredible kind of happened. One was just by happenstance, you happen to be driving that day because you guys always took turns. Oh, it wasn't happenstance. I forced producer. it that day. Oh, you made it. So that's, so it was a sign you, that yeah. you made sure you so, were driving. But the producer, the funny part is that we, I've talked about this one before. The producers did not want me to drive that day. For a reason that we'll find out in a second. Yeah, because, you know, there was going to be this setup with a police officer who's going to stop us, who was the best friend of the person we were helping, who was also a cop. And um, they knew this setup was going to be happening. And they were like, you can't drive because they were like, there's no way we're putting a black man in the front seat of a car with the police stopping him. Oh, and so they told you that? No, they right, didn't tell you had us. no idea. But they all they kept telling me was, you can't drive. Now, the thing about my personality <laughs> is that I'm stubborn. <laughs> AF. And so Don't I was telling me to do something. I, I know. I was like, the more you tell me no and not give me an answer is the more that I'm going to say I'm doing it. And because like, if you give me a rational explanation, then I'll be like, okay, great. But you're just saying no. And par every part of my like spidey <laughs> senses was like, no, I'm fighting back against this. And so I actually made us about an hour and a half late that day, about an hour and a half, two hours late that day to shoot, which I've never done before. I've never had a diva moment. That was the one time. And the reason I said I had to drive is because I have this problem where I sit in a car and I fall asleep within five minutes. <laughs> and that day we were driving three hours to go to this hero's home. And I was like, well, if you want me to be asleep, Put me in any one of these other seats other than driver's seat because I'm going to fall asleep. Everywhere, usually it's like a 10-minute drive yeah, or a 15-minute yeah, yeah. drive so I can stay awake. A three-hour drive You're at 7 o'clock in the morning, I'm knocked out. You're not That's getting a TV so show. wild. So they purposely wanted you to not drive. You ended up Yes, Yeah, so they gave Bobby the key and then they told Bobby why he needed to drive. Okay. And so Bobby and I are best friends and he wouldn't tell me, Bobby's my castmate, the design on the show. He wouldn't tell me why, which only aggravated me more. Cause I'm like, now you're keeping secrets and you F all of y'all. And eventually he just was like, I'm not arguing with one of my closest friends. He gave me the keys and I was like, great. And then, but I'm happy it happened. Okay. Because, so tell us what happens for yeah, those who the, haven't the, seen. The cop stopped us and you saw in the moment, the fear I experienced and tan experiences, people of color in this country. And we all, know about the militarization of police when it comes to people of color, LGBTQ people, the treatment of women. We have a problem where not all, but some police officers misuse their power. And that's why women are afraid when they get stopped, people of color, because we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know if they're going to hurt us or take advantage of us or do whatever. And so in that moment, you saw the fear in our faces and anxiety of what now are we about to, am I about to get shot on camera just because I'm, you know, and it was horrible. We were all scared. And the funny part was that 
it wasn't just me and Tan who were scared. Um, Anthony was scared because he, a lot of people don't know this, but he's not from this country. Right. He thought he's going to be deported. Yeah. We're in this era where, yeah. you know, this administration has made immigrants feel very uneasy about their existence. And so he was in the backseat shaking because he was like, are they going to stop me and think that? I don't believe here. He was like, my work visa is right. He's questioning himself. Even though he knows it's correct, he was questioning himself. And, um, you know, I just, and then we found out it was a joke. And, but the joke wasn't funny to me. And right, I was but like, you kind of went with it. I, I remember your reaction was like, you started laughing. Like I, I did. The funny part is in the shoot, in the show, yeah. when you see it, I actually <laughs> push the cop very hard. It's one of those things that people on Twitter like kind of caught on. They were like, uh, you pushed him like where he went backwards and almost fell because I was smiling saying, ha 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 and pushed him. But all my aggression was like, oh I'm going to knock you out right now. Um, and it was, wow. it was hard because the minute he left and we he drove us to the yeah. hero's house in between that 15 minutes of driving behind him yeah my mood switched i didn't want to help this guy yeah i was like police officer southern white we walked up there was trump pence signs and trump pence signs don't mean that he's a bad guy but for me at that moment i felt triggered that <laughs> yeah there must be something i remember his wife walked out and she was very like head down sort of seemed and she was not, but to me in that moment seemed emotionally abused. So that played into this stereotype of like, here comes this big brooding, you know, guy who's been emotionally abusing his wife and voted for Trump. And I was like, I don't like you. Yeah. And um, so what happened? What shifted? I did what I have been trained to do working in social services is I decided to put my ego to the side and give him an opportunity to be the person he is and for his actions to inform if he's a good guy or a bad guy versus assuming because of these exterior things that he was a bad guy. And part of that is being an empathetic listener. So I told myself everything he says, instead of like coming up with a response before, I'm just going to listen to him. And I want to ask really thoughtful questions and see how it works out. And I'm thankful that I've been trained to do that. So it allowed this beautiful episode. It also allowed this beautiful conversation between he and I about the police officers, the Black Lives Matter movement, how police treat people. And you see this man's heart and what he's trying to do to change it. That was a huge cultural moment because, mm -hmm. you know, it wasn't a TED talk. It wasn't, you know, people going to hear a, a conference somewhere. It was just a real conversation about what it's like for a person of color to experience law enforcement and for him to kind of talk about it, too. Mm -hmm. I mean, did you know in that moment when you were filming this is going to be something? No. And that was the second episode we ever shot. So it also then again informed the tone of where the show was going and also informed my category because. No one thought when we were doing this cop episode that it was going to turn into Black Lives Matter and deeper conversations. And the conversation that we had in the show that got cut into four minutes was actually about an hour and a half conversation of us talking. And so we talked about so much. And in that, we learned so much about each other. And what I love about he and I is that to this day, we are close friends. And in this past election, he called me. And my goal is never to make somebody feel like, their political affiliation is wrong. My goal is to help them to see if the people they're supporting aren't supporting equality and, you know, the beauty of our, the diversity of our country versus race, gender, whatever, sexual, sexual orientation, then there's a problem there. And he called me and he said, you know, when I went into the booth, I'm still a voting Republican, but I decided to support the candidates who, who supported issues that I knew wouldn't hurt you and your sons. And I was like, 
That's it. That's all I'm asking for. I'm not saying go switch parties. I'm saying when you go in that booth, think about me and my kids. Wow. And if it's going to hurt me and my kids, then can you think about not supporting that? And I was like, that's it. That's that's life changing. Yeah, that's well, the I guess goal. The, the next question is, I mean, would he vote for Trump again then? Um, you know, I've never asked him, you know, because after that conversation, what I realized is that he realized that I wasn't judging his vote anymore. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he was more than just that one vote. And because of that, he grew. And now even him saying I didn't vote for certain things because it would affect you and your sons. I'm like, well, in this next election, hopefully he will have that same opinion because he has two little girls. And I'm like, we all know the misogyny that our president has things he's said and done. He did it before. He's always been doing it. He, you can't change a feather, a bird's feathers overnight, you know? And so hopefully he sees that now because now he's thinking more empathetically about like, well, your words are affecting my daughters and affecting my wife and affecting my mother and see how, you know, hopefully it will change. But so what do you think it is about you? Um, because you do have inequality, obviously, like you said, you're trained, you're a therapist, but I think you were born psycho. psycho you're a psycho. psycho. Yes. Yeah, yeah, psycho. I'm a psycho. No, the reason I say that is because there's a distinction yes. when you're in social services, when you're a social worker, you can have that. Therapists can prescribe stuff. I'm not prescribing anything. Okay, got there's it. a I'm an observation of behavior. Right. Yeah. And so the people are like, I'm always like, No, 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 I can't yeah. give you a prescription. Right. Yeah, you know what I mean? Where there's no drugs? Yeah, there's no no that. <laughs> so do you think that you were born with a sense of empathy? Do you think it was the way that you grew up in your family and with your situation? Talk a little bit. You're, you have a really interested in childhood. Yeah, I think that I don't think that any of us are born with these qualities. I think that we're trained and we practice our behaviors, every single one of us. Um, I do think there's some things that are organic to who we are, authentically are. But I think majority of the time to be kind, loving to ourselves and to others, you have to practice it daily. The same way you practice believing the negative things about yourself, you have to practice daily good things about yourself and believing good things about others. And so because of the fact that I was felt like I was faced with so many challenges from having a immigrant parents, from being raised in Texas and then moving to Florida, having a name like Karamo, I always felt like if I'm not kind to others, then I'm not going to get the kindness back. And so I practiced kindness and empathetic listening from an early age before I even had the language to understand what it was. But it wasn't out of a desire to be to be better or be like some, you know, angel. It was out of a desire to have people treat me nice. Yeah. And it's interesting because you didn't experience or from what you said in your book, you didn't experience sort of the typical racism or the typical nope. homophobia or, you know, you kind of it seemed like a lot of the struggles came from within yourself and your family. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, there was external struggles as well, but I never faced the overt like um, it was people. from other black people. Like yeah, was, I had sometimes yeah. from my own community, like you know the what two I mean? people that were at your school, right? Because yeah. it was an all white school. It was an all white <laughs> school. Was so interesting to me. And so they had this sort of internalized feeling about my race and my color. And I would hear things, you know, the things that I would hear from people outside of my race were always like, what kind of name is that? Which I understood what their context was behind it. There wasn't love behind it. It was more like, that's weird, you know, but you know, I, I, I wasn't overtly where someone called me out my name or whatever. And like I did say in my book, the first time someone ever called me the N word, which is a word I don't use, was someone in my own race. And that's why I don't subscribe to that word, because I'm like, if we have been taught to teach ourselves to say negative things to each other, then there's a problem there. And um, we that's not just me. That's the struggle with girls. You know, they they feel like to hurt another girl. You call her you fill in the blank and that somehow it diminishes her power and who she is, you know. And so the same thing was me. It diminished 
me feeling proud of being an African-American man. And so I just thought like, if I can continue to be kind to others, then I won't even experience that at all. And it worked sometimes and sometimes it didn't. I still face ignorance, but it was always about how do I respond? I teach people all the times, everything you do starts with I. If you ever find yourself saying, they hurt me, we are the problem, you are this, you're, you're on the wrong path. You gotta start with I, how am I reacting? What is my intention? I like that. So you always knew that you were gay and you still had this best friend from high school. Yeah. And so can you tell us a little, this story is just so amazing to yes. me. And uh, you don't really talk, like you mentioned that you have kids on the show, but nobody really knows, no, you know, no, I just figured not. you were bisexual and you were married in another life. Yeah. But no, no, not at all. So, um, yes, when I was 14 going on 15, my best friend at the time, we were cool. We loved each other and we decided to, I we decided to lose our virginity to each other, and during that time, um, she I she knew that I was gay, and she felt very safe because we were young. We, we knew we could trust each other. We had talked about making this decision together, and after that decision was made, I decided I'm never going back there again. <laughs> and, In case I was wondering if I was definitely yeah, gay, yeah, I was definitely like gay. wondering. I'm, I know now, <laughs> um, and you know, it's one of these things where not to get too deep, but this is my God honest truth. Yeah. To this day, I still apologize to my ch son's mother because I always think about her first experience was with someone who said gross after. And that was unfair to her. It was like, you know, I know we both made the decision to right. embark on this, but it's like, you shouldn't have that. Your first experience should be special with someone you love. And she did. It was, she loved and trusted me, but I, I ruined it and sullied it. You know what I mean? She doesn't have a magical experience. She has me saying gross. And right. But you both have an amazing thing that came out of it. We do. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, I moved away and she moved away because my parents got divorced and I moved to Florida. And she went to Parkland, else. by the way, which is yeah. insane. I know. Marjorie Stoneman Douglas, yeah. where the shooting happened on February 14th of last year, um, yeah. was my high school. And so we were... She, we lost contact. You know, I'm 38 years old. So this is before social media. When people moved, they were gone. Right. There was no like, oh, right. I can follow you where right. you're going. And I never thought of her again because I started dating boys. You know, and it was like, okay, I'm this is who I am. And when I was 26, um, coming off the real world, um, um, there was a stack of papers on my doorstep for back child support for the child I didn't know about, which I thought was a joke. I was yeah, like, you thought you were being unpunked. I'm punked that Ashkisha yeah, show. I yeah. love that. I was like, there's no way. Like, I don't have a kid. There's not a possibility that the gay guy has a kid. Not happening. <laughs> no way. Um, and then come to find out, yeah, you do. That one experience has now changed your life forever. And so I moved back to Texas where she was living to confirm paternity and then to meet my child. And through meeting him, I realized that I could offer him a better life because of the circumstances I was in versus where she was. And it wasn't a better life regarding more love or more support because she was loving and supportive. It's just that monetarily, I had more and could give him more than she could give him. There was opportunities that came with what I could do that she couldn't. And we made the decision together that he could move in with me and I'd get full custody as long as we stayed a tight-knit family. And then... A year and a half later, I adopted his little brother because of a situation that was happening in their home. And he moved in with me. And then I became a father of two overnight. And it was like, what in the world? <laughs> and at that point, were you a, you were a single father or did you have started dating Ian at that point? Single father, yeah. And that's insane. I know. I told myself that I wasn't going to date anybody when I first became a father because when my parents got divorced, my father used to bring in women that he was dating. So it'd be like, 
this morning some woman would be in the kitchen cooking breakfast trying to pretend to be my mom and then <laughs> who are you yeah i'm like who are you and no i don't want your breakfast and then like they would break up just adults right. do right. and then all of a sudden like two months later there's be some other lady pretending to be my mom in the kitchen yeah. and i always hated that feeling so when i became a father i said until i am a hundred percent sure yeah none of you will ever meet my child and that was a choice that i had to make and i think that we should encourage more parents to make because when you don't do that it's very hard for the child to like see people coming in and out it's a really mature decision i mean um my husband has two sons mm -hmm. and i i wanted to meet them right away like we got serious really fast yeah. and we waited he waited six months and i remember you know i was immature i was like i don't get it this is ridiculous yeah. to get? and he's like they need time and my you know his wife his ex-wife and him agreed they would wait and you know, looking back, it's silly, like six yeah, months. Yeah, 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 yeah. We know now, but like, yeah, yeah. but I'm so glad that he did that because they needed time to adjust everything, you know, yeah. and, and you just have to make the mature decision as the parent yeah, and not like, oh, what it feels good. And, I know, like, let's just know. go on a family picnic. Yeah, like, like it would have no, been no, no. easier for him for me to swoop in and help with stuff, you know, yeah. but we just kept it separate for a while, so. Yeah, and so I didn't, the kids didn't meet Ian and then eventually Ian and I were together for a year and a half. So I was longer than your six months. Yeah. And I finally introduced him as my friend, Mr. Ian. <laughs> Mr. Ian. Yeah. And you were still living in Houston at that point. Um, We were on our way moving here. So he and I started dating when I was in Houston. He lived in, Ian, my fiance, started, was living here in California. And I told him we were moving back, which is why we were able to continue the relationship. Because it was like, okay, you are coming here. Yeah. And um, yeah. And then when I moved back, the kids were in their the, sixth grade and ninth grade. So he took on, that's a lot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he didn't want kids. He right? did not want children. He's always like, I don't know how this happened where I ended up getting a built in family right. overnight when I did not want a child. You know what I mean? He was like a free gay man just living his life. He was like, I don't want any kids. Yeah. Well, you didn't see them in your future either, right? No, not at all. And, you know, it's like, can you imagine not having them? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's I funny. love my babies, but let's be real. That's hilarious. It's like, I love them. Right. I, I'm so grateful for them. But like, there's blah, moments blah, blah. where I'm just like. Eh. I can't oh, relate. I have a perfect child. <laughs> we were not fighting at all in the car right exactly. here. Exactly. You not see? And it's moments like that for me. I'm like, I, I, I can imagine you not. <laughs> I can imagine all yeah, the but time. Yeah, but then, and then right after that thought comes in, I'm like, no, I couldn't. You yeah. know, my life and my world, you know. And make me cry. By the way, I cried so many times reading your book. Really? So oh. many. I, I should have marked the tears of every time. <laughs> yeah. Well, just because you're also really honest and open. I think that comes across on the show, too. You're Thanks. just very authentic. And, you know, you dealt with a lot. I mean, you had addiction issues growing up. And I mean, you can talk a little bit about just some of the obstacles. We don't have to go in depth, yeah. but kind of. And then you had sort of coincided with the real world, which I don't know that people realize that you're the same karma that was on the oh, real no, world. People, no one remembers that. Right? No, like no that one. was crazy. Yeah, it's because I'm such, I was, and which makes sense. I grew. I'm not that <laughs> 22, 23 year old little boy anymore. Yeah. So like people see this version of me, the growth in me, and they're like, those two people aren't the same because that one was a train wreck. I was <laughs> just straight out of college. Everything was every. Oh, my gosh. It, I was a mess. And so right. people always are like, what? Right. You're that you're that Karamo? And I'm like, you think there's many that many people in the world named Karamo? <laughs> Sorry to bust your bubble. There's not. Um, but yeah, I went through a lot of issues after finishing the real world because I was in such like a place of I didn't know what was going on. I was in, it just it felt bad and I didn't know how to express it. So I started dealing with drugs and alcohol. And a lot of it was encouraged by the environment I was in. You know, people don't realize that when you're on these reality shows, they stock the house with liquor. 
you know, not Queer Eye because we're a docu-series, so they're not trying to get drama, but those shows where you see drama, they're giving them liquor, you know, and even at, after the show, the real world, when I would go on these events, they would have drugs in there for me. And I'm thinking like, I'm a 20 something year old child. Why are you giving me drugs? But it was because they wanted more of a heightened situation. Yeah. And I unfortunately had parents who didn't understand this world. So they didn't know how to protect me from it because they didn't first of all understand what reality television was. And they also didn't understand that reality TV would be exposing me to this and that people would be buying their child this. They didn't, they didn't have the language for that. And so here I am just lost, lost. And it taught, I got depressed. Um, there was bouts of domestic violence, just so much. Yeah. And I one day had to wake up and start to use my training, use everything to get, get back on the right path. But you did it on your own. I mean, basically, like you did, like you yeah. said, you didn't go to rehab. You didn't do. So that takes a lot of strength. Yeah. And I say in my book, I wish I would have. I wish yeah. I would have. Because the thing is, is, like, it's because I grew up in a culture where it's like, you don't see a therapist. You pray your stuff away. Right, right, yeah. You right. know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you don't go to rehab. That's rich people stuff. You know what I mean? Like, it, it was like all these mixed messages I was getting that was like, oh, well, I'm not rich. So I can't go to rehab because the only people I go to rehab is Britney Spears and <laughs> right. Lindsay Lohan. You know? And I'm like, I'm not those two girls. So I guess I got to figure this out on my own. Yeah. And now I'm like, I wish I would have because it would have probably had my journey be easier versus, you know, going through the struggles of trying to figure it out on my own. And, but luckily I did the work and that was part of the thing. You know, the only way to get better is to practice better behavior. I, you know, I try to break things down in a way that's simple for people. People are like, I can't change. And it's like, yeah, you can. It's practice. You know, I, I equate our lives to like your cell phone battery. You know, <laughs> if you're depleted and everything is going wrong, that's when your cell phone is dead. You plug it in and it doesn't just all of a sudden charge the top. It goes one bar by the next bar <laughs> by the next bar. And that's how I approach my growth. I go one bar and I sit in that one bar and refill myself enough in that one bar. And then I go to the second bar and I refill myself and then I go to third. And then I'm, at some point I look up and I'm like, oh, I'm fully charged up. I'm good to go. You know, this is why they call you Karama Oprah or Karoprah. Kar yeah. yeah, I know I was going to say it wrong. <laughs> yeah, so what are those things for you? Like, is it? Exercise, like what are the things oh, that honey, fuel you? Oh, honey, it's not exercise. I hate exercise. <laughs> it's Starburst. <laughs> yeah, it's Starburst. It's as much candy and Sprite and cookies as I can get. Uh, I hate you. Oh, You're one of those natural. You're watching me right now eat <laughs> these things, ironically. This is not even a joke. And you look um, great. Yeah, I just, uh, thank you. I appreciate it. Well, you have it. a great um, relationship. That's part of it, yeah, right? I mean, part of it is a great relationship. Yeah. And part of it is also um, being clear on boundaries. You know, I think a lot of times we teach the raw messages to kids that their boundaries don't matter and that they shouldn't be setting boundaries. Um, and so I don't do that. Like I have very clear boundaries for myself, which allow me to feel when I'm feeling overwhelmed to be able to step away, to not let somebody do something to me or say something to me that's going to hurt me. It's really about how do I protect myself? Again, it starts with the I. You can't do anything to me that I don't allow. And so if I'm allowing myself to be in a situation where I'm going to let you overstep my boundary, then yes. And again, that's something I have to practice daily. So well, and especially, I mean, your life has gotten so crazy with the show, right? Yeah, and now sorry. you're like going to Japan. Yeah. You got a million things going on mm -hmm. in the book. Like, how do you stay, stay sane through just the craziness? I don't, of I'm not afraid to say no. 
Okay. <laughs> like literally, you know, I'm not afraid to say no to people. Yeah. And I think that's something we you know when you make fear based decisions, you're afraid to say no because your fear is that it's going to go away if you don't say yes. And what I realize is that I don't have any fear of things going away because what is for me is for me. And so if something is going on that I know is going to be too emotionally taxing or laboring and it's going to hurt me, then I'm okay with saying no, I don't want it. And I think as a culture, especially when we have uh, marginalized communities like women, people of color, LGBT community, we're especially afraid to say no. Because like, think about ladies. If a woman says no, a young girl says no, all of a sudden it's perceived as if they're the B word or if they're being difficult or they're not cooperative. You fill in the blank of all these narratives that have been told. And it's like, no, you saying no means that you're okay with protecting yourself and loving yourself. And I think that that's where I try to get people to know. It's like, I'm not trying to be difficult. I'm just, I just know what's healthy for me. Yeah. You're taking care of yourself. Yep. All right. So let's switch gears for a minute. We're going to do some fun questions. Um, I just started I doing, love. I got my Andy Cohen on and I, I was like, Ooh, let's do some fun queer eye questions. I love, love, love. Okay. The question is where did they go? Okay. So I called him my fab five questions. Okay. So who would you say is like the spokesperson for the group? Like if you guys all wanted your raise, who would go in and do the pitch? Jonathan Van Ness. Jonathan Van Ness from day one has always been the one that has been like not doing it, not seeing it, not happening. He is a hundred percent the person that if we want to go in right now and say, give us a raise, give us anything, we're going to all know that he's going to say it first. I we don't have to encourage it. He's just going to say He's just going to go. Who eats the most? Um, eats the most, I think that would be, well, it depends on what they're eating. Cause tan is a, um, cookie and cake junkie. And so if you put a box of donuts or cake in front of him, it'll be gone within one, <laughs> no matter where, where, whatever. Um, I eat the less, the least. Okay. Um, like if you're at a restaurant, like who's the one, like just eating every, all the appetizers and, um, uh, I guess Jonathan. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Jonathan, our baby Jonathan is the one that eats the most because they all joke with me that part of my, the reason also I have a skinny diet or I'm skinny is because I'm no, it's it's the portion control. People forget that. It's like when they go to a restaurant, you don't have to eat everything on the plate, you know, like, but like it's in front of you. So you think you have to. Intuitive. You have intuitive eating. Yeah. Okay. Who was, well, this is funny. I read I wrote this before I read the book Uh and now I think I know one of the answers. Who's always cold and who's always warm. I'm so, yeah, right. you know that. So, so always I'm cold. always cold. Bobby Burke is always hot. And it's the one <laughs> argument that Bobby and I have. The only argument. Like the married couple. Yeah. I love it. Who's the biggest diva? Ooh. Um, I don't, none of us are really divas. I wouldn't say, you know what I mean? Like okay. none of us. I think just as you see on the show, we all have good personalities. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, but none of you are going to be like, I'm not like the, you know. No, I th- I uh, guess if I'm, I'll play the game. So if I had to pick someone... <laughs> I guess it would be Jonathan or Bobby would be our divas, but they're not, okay. you know, but I, yeah. let's just go with them. Okay. One of them. Who's the most sensitive? Anthony. Oh, that you didn't even hesitate. I didn't have to. He cries on the heart of a beat. <laughs> He's sensitive. I mean, if you flick a rock at him, he'll think like you've tried to shoot him with a gun. Like he's very... <laughs> He internalizes everything. He's, you know, like on the show, sometimes I laugh because, oh, you know what? No, this is a better example. There was a meme that came out recently where he was sitting next to Pete Davidson and um, (laughs) Kate Banchette, I think her name is. Oh, the one he was dating, Kate Beckinsale? Kate Beckinsale, that's what it is. And Anthony's sitting there and he's like zoned (laughs) off. And I'm like, everyone was like, is he trying to ignore it or whatever? And I'm like, no, I know him. Someone just said something to him and he was, he goes into his head and he's like thinking about every possible scenario. And that's the sensitive part of him. Wow. Good one. Who's the worst driver? 
Anthony. <laughs> nah, yeah, not a doubt. Um, I can't he, see him being a good driver. No, he doesn't even have a driver's license. Right. It's very so Canadian. It's like, yeah. That's hilarious. Who's the cleanest? Who's the messiest? Um, I'm the cleanest because I have extreme OC. Like you can't even imagine. <laughs> Your house is perfect. Thank it's, you. I it appreciate looks like that. a model home. Like it looks like no one lives here. <laughs> really? Yeah. I appreciate that. Right? Um, it's, it's, it's like that upstairs too. So oh my it's like, God. Um, it's gorgeous. But it works out with me and my fiance because I don't like to cook and he loves to cook. So I'm like, you cook? And I will clean yeah. all day. So, yeah, that's yeah. A, I love that. And who's the messiest of the five of you? Um, Jonathan. Okay. Yeah, he, he spills I, stuff on yeah. himself. His <laughs> clothes in his car. It's junky. Uh, that leads me. Actually, I don't have this one written down. But who's the biggest spaz? Who's the clumsiest? clumsiest? Um, like least athletic. Yeah, Anthony. <laughs> okay. Anthony is like he's very like tripping over stuff, <laughs> constantly bumping into things. Yeah, I, I haven't it. said tan yet. I need to get. Figure I know. Out what... Okay. Well, this probably isn't tan. Who's the most obsessed with politics? Me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm the one that's probably, no, you know, it's Jonathan a tie. too, right? Jonathan yeah. too. But he, it's funny because I'm more strategic about like, how can I actually work with the opposite side? How can I actually see policy change? And Jonathan is more like, what's on Twitter? What's on Twitter? I'm yeah. not playing with you. I can't stand you. Like, I'm going to say some things that make you block me. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, but both are effective. Right. Don't get me wrong. But both you're are, actually political. Like you, I am. I, go I to love DC all those all the time. Obama pictures. I mean, oh my God, I can't even. Oh my gosh. I'm, I mean, <laughs> I was just in DC last week advocating for a new um, act, Senate um, Representative John Lewis, who walked with oh, Luther King, yeah, hit me iconic. up and was like, can you come and help <gasps> us? What? And I was like, yeah. What was it for? It's for Every Child Deserves a Family Act, which is something we're trying to get passed right now. Just passed in the House. And now we're trying to get the Senate to pass this, which most people don't know is that um, adoption agencies can discriminate against not only LGBTQ people, but also against single people and also people with different religions. So if you're a single mother that has the means and wants to adopt the child, the person at the adoption agency can say no because you're single. Wow. Not based on merit, on your your finances, not based on anything other than they don't think single people should have children. And especially when we're in a time, you know, this was really big for me because I was there, when we have certain states trying to take away women's rights, I'm always like, okay, let's think about this rationally. You're saying to this woman, you don't have a right to choose so if she has to have a child, now you're saying that child doesn't get a home because this person doesn't have the right. I mean, it, it's I, so backwards. I, it's to so hypocritical. It's, it's beyond hypocritical. I it's, know. It's, 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 and it's so my thing was like, let me go there and use my platform to like change this. And so I've been doing that a lot. So yeah. I'm in D.C. often advocating for different bills, which is amazing because, as we know, so the power of celebrity and politics gets stuff. To, I mean, Kim Kardashian got people out of prison, out of prison. Right? Yeah. Like he doesn't like, listen to anybody. Yeah. He's listening to her. So. Yeah. OK, last queer uh, question. Who loves being famous the most? You know what? Everyone would think <laughs> it's Jonathan Van Ness, but it is not. The person that loves fame the most is Tan France. We finally landed we on one. it. Let me tell you something. You be fooled by this little sweet, handsome British boy if you want to. But I kinda he am. loves fame. Does he, he loves it. He loves it. He eats it up. Um <laughs> Yeah, he would be the one that loves fame. Ooh, I love this is mm -hmm. juicy. But not in a bad way. You know, he's no, not like just a like you think, Yeah, he seems almost a little shy. So yeah, that's no, very he, he likes it. Loves it. He's, he's adorable. When we look at and listen to what you'll see. When we have photos with um 
uh, fans or people who support yeah. the show, he's always the one in the front who grabs the camera. <laughs> look, just look. You'll see. Well, the rest of us are in the back. He's like, anytime someone comes up, he's like, yes, of course, come give me your phone. And he grabs it because he likes that, you know. That's hilarious. Mm-hmm. I love it. All right, let's just do a couple minutes wrapping up on reality TV. Sure. On Housewives specifically. Oh, I love Housewives. Which, I love all reality television. I love it. So yeah. what, okay, so first Housewives, what's your favorite franchise? Um, there's, a, it's goes between Atlanta and Beverly Hills. Okay. And who's your favorite housewife? Um, so that's going to get me in trouble because I'm friends with some of them. Ooh, so okay. I'm like, if you, had, uh, had you, name you know, a couple. um, okay. A couple, um, Cynthia Bailey. Your friends really with her. Sweet. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. like, um, it. from the Atlanta cast. Yes. Um, Candy, right. um, is great. Um, she's exceptional from the Beverly, Beverly Hills. Hills cast. I would say that. Kyle is just extraordinarily sweet. And also Erica Jane. What's going on with Lucy Lucy Apple Juicy? What do you think? That dog? (laughs) Give me a break. I'm like, are y'all kidding me? Like that whole thing is just ridiculous to me. Are you team LVP or team everyone else? I'm team. (laughs) Team Lucy. I'm team. Yeah, exactly. I'm team dog. I'm I'm team everyone else in this situation. Like I love Lisa Vanderpump, but I think there's some type of weird manipulation tactic that's happening here. I, I just can't be for sure, but something is going on here. Like, first of all, you're taking to extremes with lie detector tests for this. It's like, come on, you know, people who are honest don't have to, do all of this to prove their honesty. You sort of just know I'm honest. And so it's like, why are you protesting, thou protesting Too so much. much? Right. Like what is going on? You know? Yeah, no, I know. It's a bit much. And yeah. Camille came back like first season Camille right now, right? Yes, like, she did. What and a, I wish she would leave. Right? Like what like, is going on over there? It's like, what, like, why are you so unhappy with yourself right now that you're talking about everyone else is what I get from the show. It's like every minute it's like, a, and what I love about the housewives is the flashback. Jesus. The, the best. And it always contradicts whatever they exactly. say. Yeah, I like, love a flashback. I'm the easiest person. I know, and it's like something else. And I'm just like, these flashbacks have been killing Camille <laughs> because it's like, I love you. You're my best friend. Come to my wedding. And then it's like, does she really have money? Is she really have that accent? Is she, she's too big for her britches. I'm like, girl, Hilarious. you know, but yeah. it's like, the what editor, are you going? The editors hate her. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, listen, you are found a new man. Yeah. You have a nice life. Yeah. What's the problem? Why do you need to come back on? And it's so thirsty and desperate. Yeah. I just don't like it. And the whole Brett Kavanaugh, I've been a victim of, of, uh, uh, you know, false accusations. I'm like, Camille, I can't. Listen, that whole <laughs> dinner table scene. I was thinking to myself, what in the world? Did you just fall and bump your head? Like that I was like with everyone else. And the thing is, like, if I had a conversation with her, I wouldn't actually say this to her. I'd actually try to get to empathetically listen to her, yeah. try to figure out like, why do you think that would be appropriate? Why are you fighting against your own your own interest as a woman. Right, but you are trying to reason with a narcissist. No, I would be able to reason with her. I, <laughs> yeah. I'd be able to, yeah. yeah? I have, I have I want, skills. I want to pay to see that. Yeah. Well, the thing is, I've been on um, Andy. Yeah, watch what happens. happens. I, yeah. I remember seeing you on and that. And Andy loves when I come on. He's yeah. always like, please, because he wants somebody to dissect the right. psychology of these women. Yes. And I'm like, I'm there for you. So, Well, is Dorinda right? Is Luann a narcissist? You know what? I don't know. I need to spend some time with her to like really find out. You know, it's like, you know, you're like, yes, she is. I would, I would need to find out. Said with it, love. Yeah. Because it, there could be something, there could be some trauma or something else that's triggering a behavior that makes us think she's a narcissist, but when actually that could be masking a deeper fear or hurt or pain. And so like, for me, I just would want to get a little bit deeper to see like, are you intentionally leading by ego or is there something that's hurting you? 
Wow, that's so deep. I thought it was just the cabarets going to her head. See, I told you. Give me a moment with these housewives. Damn, that's the show I want to watch. Right? By the way, are you allowed to do other stuff? Because I, like, I know you want to do a talk show and all that. Or is it like, are you contracted on Queer Eye for? No, they're pretty good with us doing stuff. Really? I would say, you know, we all just we all do a little stuff. Like, I have my podcast. Right. I also just did a stint on Raven's Home, that Disney I Channel show. I saw on your Instagram. That's so cool. Yeah, and then um, I just was on Celebrity Family Feud last night. I need to see. Will they rerun it? Because I just I hope so, went on your Instagram like, last night. I'm like, oh, damn, I missed it. Yeah. That and looks so, like so much fun. Yeah. We've all been doing stuff, you know, that are in line with what we are and who we yeah. are. Jonathan has been doing comedy shows. Oh, really? Um, stand up? Yeah. Stand up. He's uh, really funny. It's that's uh, I could see it. Yeah. But each of us, you know, so we all are branching out doing little things. But yeah. the thing is, to be honest with you, we all love this journey and this ride right now yeah. that we don't want anything to confuse it or to mess it up. And the unfortunate part is, is that people are so quick to think that the five of us are trying to break up, leave, not. Yeah, they love putting rumors in the press about how you're all fighting. I'm like, give me a break. We are the best of friends. We couldn't, the last. From day one, from even before you were chosen. From day one. It's like, you know what I mean? And don't get me wrong, we're human beings. So there's always different opinions on things. But the beauty of us is that we get over it. it. And I'm like, come on now. And so like when they see us on other things, people immediately go to our Twitters and like, the Fat Five is broken up. And I'm like, <laughs> girl, not one of us is first of all going to leave this amazing train. Right. You know and what's jump going off. on. Yeah, yeah, we know what's going yeah. on. We know who's paying our bills. Right. We are not leaving this train. Right. And also we all feel like there's so many more people to help. So That's awesome. Yeah. All right, last thing. So you said you love reality TV. What are a couple of the other shows that you love that are guilty pleasures or just fun for you? That you like are you a Survivor fan? Are you like Um, I watch The Amazing Race still. I wow. love Big Brother. I mean, like I'm a Big Brother fan. Yeah. Hick. Yeah. <laughs> um, I love this is not a really a reality show, but it is. I love Dancing with the Stars. Yeah, no, it is. Oh yeah, yeah. Mm. I know, but you know what I mean, like in the right. sense of like Big Brother where Got they're living it. in a house Got or it. Um, but Dancing with the Stars, I am obsessed. Do you watch with. Shark Tank? I do watch Shark Tank. I love Shark Tank. Yeah, Shark Tank That's is That's my great. favorite. Yeah, Shark Tank is awesome. Obsessed. Um, what else do I watch? Um, I watch Bad Girls Club reruns. <laughs> no I don't watch way. any of the new seasons. Yeah, I love Do you Bad watch Girl any Club. scripted? Um, scripted shows? Yeah. Yeah. What oh, do you like? Um, what are my scripted shows? I mean, I love that little ABC lineup of like before when it was Scandal, How to Get Away with Murder. Oh, the whole Shonda lineup. Yeah, the whole Shonda, yeah. the um, <laughs> Grey's Anatomy. I'm obsessed. Yeah. Still? Um, still. Wow. Um, I'm obsessed with 9-11 right now on Fox. Oh, um, is it good? It's so good. Okay. Because you get caught up and it's like, it's like the real stuff that happens because they pull yeah. it from actual things. Yeah, yeah. And you're like, oh my gosh, somebody actually was stuck in a tree and then got their <laughs> ear cut off and then a, a squirrel brought their ear to the, you know, some oh. child. And then you're like, what in the world? So I get okay. obsessed with it. All right, I gotta check it out. Um, but my also my all-time favorite scripted show is an oldie but a goodie. And I watch every day, at least twice a day. No joke. Never. I've watched every episode is MASH. Really? Someone just posted that they didn't think MASH held up. And I always oh thought it was scandalous. Gosh, that is the best show <laughs> ever. Yeah. I love it. That's I remember that was huge when I was growing up. And yeah. I just never got into it. I love it. Most people yeah. don't. You yeah. know what I mean? It's like either you love it or you don't. Wow. But when you see how sophisticated the comedy is and like some of the themes yeah. and tones that are they talk about on the show yeah. are still today. Wow, fascinating. Well, I, I could spend like another three hours with you. This was so great. It was. It was really fun. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me on. <laughs> <laughs> 